All right. I don't know if you would call this a continuation, but I kind of feel like it is. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a sermon on the concept of being a wounded healer. I really feel... <laughs> I really feel like God was leading us to think in terms of a new identity, the identity of a wounded healer, being somebody who could understand ourselves as being open to letting God use our painful situations and our hurts to actually help heal other people. I really believe God wanted to convey that identity to us. And I think that Doc's sermon was a great example of what that's like. Um, I, I feel truly honored and blessed to work for and work with a pastor that is willing to exemplify the virtue of being real that deep. Uh, it, it, it's, it's awesome. And so I think he did a wonderful example of that. But I have a strong feeling that God still wants to deal with the concept and go a little further in discussing certain aspects of what it means to be a wounded healer. So in the next, in this Sunday and next Sunday, I'm going to go from a passage of Scripture, and I, there's, God has had me really, really reading um, 1 John very, very heavily. And I think that there's a passage of Scripture in there that for the next two weeks we're going to build upon and really get some things from the Word of God. So the passage in question that we're going to talk about, I'm going to go through the text first and then kind of bring out of that what I feel God really wants to speak to us at this time. Um, the passage is 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. That's where we're going to be going from this week and next week. 1 John 3, verses 11 through 18. And it reads, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not abide in love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. That's the passage we're going to be working from. Now, I want to give a little background about 1 John before we get into this. A lot of people call this the love letter. This is the, this is the letter where it says, you know, God is love and that we have to, you know, love one another. And so there's all this love. I mean, I know Greg has probably done a lot on this um, topic from 1 John. The author is actually writing this correspondence to his audience because there's a lot of false teachings that's going on at this time, some of them dealing with whether Jesus Christ is fully man and all these different things. So what the author wants to do is lay down a foundation for how you can truly know that you are following Christ as Lord. What are the true distinctives of what it means to really be a Christian? And one of those distinctives that he refers to can be, can be considered keeping the love commandment keeping the love commandment. And this commandment refers to a commandment that Jesus spoke in the Gospel of John, talking about loving one another. It's in the Johannine um, Gospel tradition. In 1 John 2, 7, 8, he basically says that he's not writing a new commandment, but an old commandment, one that they'd heard from the beginning. When he's talking about the beginning, he's talking about when they heard when Jesus was still walking with the earth and when Jesus was still teaching. So I, I want, in the interest of that, I want to look back at the commandment. The actual commandment itself that First John, the writer of First John is building on. So we're talking about John 15, verses 10 through 13. This is Jesus speaking. John 15, verses 10 through 13. If you keep my commandments, 
you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I have said these things to you that you, wait, sorry. This is my commandment. This is the big thing here. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, I think you can automatically see some of the similarities between the John passage and the first John passage. What we're going to concentrate on today is verse 16. But we want to keep in mind the actual commandment. We're going, to fo- we're going to focus on verse 16 of 1 John 3. And it reads, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. I'm going to read that again. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Now, we're going to combine some ideas here. Now, when we read this, we, can, we, also, we know that we are to love one another as Christ loved us. And then the question is then posed, okay, well, how did Christ love us? And in 1 John, the author, he lays it down very clearly. It's like he laid down his life for us. He died a pathetic, painful, horrendous death that we might have eternal life. So, you know, as we're reading this, you might want, okay, well, I guess so we get from this that we're supposed to be people that are willing to lay down our lives for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And this will, this will actually be kind of a more extreme example of what it's like to be a wounded healer, to actually use you being crushed, use your pain to benefit others, to help heal others. And I think that that is a really true analysis. But if, I think there's a deeper question that can be asked when we talk about what does it mean to love one another as Christ loved us? And that question is a question of motivation and attitude. It's a question of motivation and attitude. I don't think I have to tell many of us here that when you are dealing with interpersonal relationships and stuff like that, the reason why you do something and the attitude that you have as you're doing something is almost as important or if not more important than what you do. The reason or the motivation why you do something is almost as important, if not more important, than what you do when it comes to human relationships. Let me give you an example. Let's say that your um, significant other gives you some flowers. Now, would it make a difference to you if their motivation was, you know, they just, they were at work all day and they just couldn't stop thinking about you and they kept seeing rainbows and sparrows and the stars whenever they thought about you and they just like, I got to do something. Oh, I just, I want to get these flowers and give them to my significant other. Yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? Or would it matter if the motivation was, dang, I was late again. I I knew I promised I was going to take her out today. Uh, I'll just get some flowers. That'll make it all right. What if the motivation was that? Or what if the motivation was, all this romance stuff. Well, I know the right thing to do is to go ahead and do something for my significant other. So I guess what I'm going to do is I'll just get some flowers. It's the right thing to do. Does motivation matter? Or maybe it's your friend. Maybe, does it really matter if your friend comes over because your friend just wants to love on you and just see how you're doing and they care so much about you, they just want to know what's going on in your life? Or maybe it's the fact that the motivation is you just got a big screen TV and the game happens to be on. (laughs) Would motivation for supposedly good acts matter? I think that we would all admit they are. 
One of the most interesting, interesting things that you can discover about yourself and other people is when you start talking about motives for actions. Why do we wave to other people? It looks like a nice gesture. Why do we do that? Why do we come to church? Why do we sit here? Why, if we're ministers, why do we minister? What is the motivation for our preaching and our serving? Why do we do that? When you really get down to why we do things the way we do, are the good things that we think and the good things we do truly motivated out of a center of love? What if I were to tell you this? What if I were to tell you that it is actually possible for someone to do loving acts? I mean, very noble acts. Almost, it seems like, oh my gosh, that is so self-sacrificial. What if I told you it was possible to do acts like that from an essentially self-centered reason? What if it was possible to do heroic acts from essentially self-centered reasons? I'd like to go to 1 Corinthians 13. I know all of us know this. You know, it's the, well, that's the love chapter. And we, went up, we did a whole series on it with Greg. I understand that, but just indulge me just for a second. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13, and I want to kind of pick out something new here. We're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 3. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Pay close attention here. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, you know, a lot of people, we look at this all the time. We say, well, basically, you know, it's making the same point that we know about, that Paul is basically saying it doesn't matter what we do if it's not grounded in, excuse me, if it's not grounded in love, that it's ultimately worth nothing. But notice the point, the, in, the, the inference in verse 3. It's inferred that it is actually possible for somebody to sell all of their possessions and give all that stuff to the poor and actually do it for a non-loving reason. It is actually possible in some interpretations, this says, if I, have my, if I hand my body over to be burned, he's speaking about martyrdom. He's thinking about being killed. If I hand over my body so that I might boast and I have not loved, then it is nothing. It is actually possible, brothers and sisters, to give your life for someone else and actually be from a more self-centered motivation. It's a scary thought. Because usually we think we can kind of, we can tell a book by its cover and saying, well, that person's doing this, so man, they must really love. But we have to really think about that now. What I'm getting to is this, brothers and sisters. When we are talking about loving as Christ loves us, we're not just talking about having the identity of a wounded healer. We're not just talking about having the identity of somebody that wants to bind their wounds and use those wounds to help heal somebody else, even though that's great. But that's not just what we're talking about. We're also talking about the character and the disposition of a person that does that stuff. We are talking about what, the, what, what motivates that person to be a wounded healer. So when we are loving as Christ loved, we have to look at Christ's motivation for what he did. Here's the thing. If we are not reflective about doing things and loving things, we can do something from a character direction or a character trajectory that is not what we think it is. It is possible, brothers and sisters, if I don't watch it, for me to preach to you 
and really think I'm doing a, a, a sacrificial act. I'm, I'm working on the sermon. I'm, I'm doing all this praying. I'm doing all this studying. But it's possible if I don't be careful for me to do it from a motivation that is not fully out of love. So what character disposition are we looking for? I believe we're looking for the character disposition that Jesus Christ himself had. Now, this is just me, but I really don't believe that when Jesus was on that cross and he was, he was bleeding and dying, I don't believe that he was doing that out of some type of dysfunctional compulsion. I really think that there, there, was, there was something that, you know, before now I really couldn't understand, but I think I got a better grasp on. It's like, what motivated Jesus to actually come down here and die a criminal's death for us? I don't believe it was some deep-seated need within himself. I don't believe it was some superficial thing. I don't believe it was a dysfunctional compulsion. I believe that it, it was actually a free act. I believe that it was an act of freedom and determination that was built upon his relationship with the Father. I believe that the only thing that compelled him was his relationship to the Father. In other words, the love of Christ the love of Christ that he had for the Father in that relationship, that gave the motivation for what he did. Now, I just want to give an example of this. In the, if you look in the book of John, he keeps referring to his father and what his father does for him, that he, he does all things through his father. But I just want to lay out one scripture to really make my point known here. John 5, John 5, 17. John 5, 17. But Jesus answered them, my father is still working, and I am also working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own. This is Jesus now. The son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be astonished. Now, right here, we just have a glimpse into the, into the mind of Jesus here. Jesus says, hey, look, it's, it's, it's my relationship with my father that is the way that I can do the things that I do. It is not out of a self-centered idea, but it's out of a loving relationship with God. Here's the thing. Here's the point, y'all. Wounded healers, as, as we try to strive to be wounded healers, we have to actively seek to work out of a source of fullness, of freedom, of determination that is grounded on our relationship with God. If we don't do that, then other problems can develop. If we do it out of an essentially self-centered motivation, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we're going to end up with problems. If we truly want to love each other like Jesus loved us, then we have to look for a specific goal, a specific goal for our character. And this is what I believe that, that goal is. We have to try to get a self-giving attitude towards others that is characterized by freedom and determination, that is grounded on our love for God and our healthy love for self. We have to, have, we have to strive for a self-giving attitude towards others that is characterized by freedom and determination, that is grounded in love for God and a healthy love for self. This, my brothers and sisters, is how we have the power to esteem other people higher than ourselves, even as we love ourselves. This is how we're able to truly be others-minded. 
This is how we're able to actually have that character from whence our, wound, our wounded healer identity grows. Now, now that I've come, I want to understand this is the direction now. This is the direction we're trying to strive for. We're trying to strive for this. Now, I've told, kind of told you what it is. I want to tell you what this is not, okay? This direction is not about codependency. There's, there's, there, there's certain dysfunctions where people actually need other people to be hurt so that they can help them. There's some people that kind of struggle with that. There's a lot of ministers that struggle with that. You know, it's like, well, you know, I need you to be broken so that I can feel significant when I minister to you. I need you to be messed up so that when I minister to you, I, I feel better about myself. I get my identity from being that wounded healer to you. And there's a lot of people that struggle with that. And that's, oh, that, that's, it's, I'm not saying that there's their fault, but that is an issue that can come about if we don't be reflective on why we're doing what we're doing. What I'm talking about is not that type of codependency. It is not some deep-seated insecurity that you work from. It's also not moralism. It's, this is just the right thing to do. Let me tell you something. How, how many of you guys would like it if, I don't, I don't, if this is your mother or your father or somebody, a family member that's close to you, and they, 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 they stood with you in, in times when times were hard, they prayed for you, they fasted for you, they did all this stuff, and then you came to find out that the reason they did that is because they felt that that was just the right thing to do at the time. It wasn't truly out of a deep-seated love and concern for you more than they wanted to appease their own consciousness. How would you, you, you feel about that? It would kind of diminished a little bit, wouldn't it? What we are talking about as far as a character direction is not moralism. And here's the last thing that's not, and this one is, gets very, very insidious. This is not religious legalism. We are not talking about religious legalism. And this is where it gets hard because, hey, we, you know, we're Christians. We, we, we believe in God. We want to obey God. You know, in 1 John, he keeps talking about, hey, the, the people that love God obey God's commandment to love one another. So we're talking about obedience. So in one sense, it's like, well, you know, it's a good thing to want to do things because God commands us to do it. But see, there, there, there's, 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 a, there's a heart thing there. There's a difference there. Have you ever, there, there's sometimes where people, they want to convey the truth to you, but they don't necessarily do it in that loving category. Like, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And they lay it on you, but somehow there's not that caring aspect. There's not that, that, that empathetic aspect. But the reason they tell you the truth is because God, God likes truth. God doesn't like, God likes realness. God doesn't like falseness. See, problems creep up in the church. I, I'm, I'm really believing this. Problems creep up in the church when we try to follow the edicts of God without the character of God. We try to do what thus says the Lord, but we don't spend the time to really get the character that Jesus had when he did what he did. And people get hurt. We are not talking about religious legalism. I, when Jesus did what he did for us, yes, he did that out of obedience to the Father, but that obedience was grounded in his love for the Father and his relationship with the Father. That's what characterized him. So when we are talking about the direction that we're trying to shoot for as far as truly being others-minded, we're not talking about codependency, we're not talking about moralism, and we are not talking about religious legalism. Have you ever wondered, I, I always wonder, like, Jesus, how in the world did you do it? How in the world <laughs> did you find the motivation to do this? I mean, I, I'll be honest with y'all. If I was me, I'd been like, look, y'all lost. 
<laughs> I can't help y'all. Y'all just, you know. Well, maybe I, maybe I would have mustered up the, 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 the space to try to do something out of my own insecurity. Well, I want to I look good as Lord, so I'll do it, you know, maybe. But chances are probably not. But I kept wondering, how in the world did Jesus find the motivating power to be God and hang on the cross for people that didn't even love him? And when I started going through this, it really made sense to me. He had the character necessary to stay on that cross. He didn't do it out of a center of self-need or the need to feel wanted or the need to feel needed or just any type of superficial. He did it because of his love for the Father and his healthy love for other people and himself. That's how he was able to do it. Now, here's where we, you know, we're growing Christians and we're developing and we're always changing. And what somebody can hear, and I don't want anybody to hear this, is, well, you know, if that's the kind of character we need to be a wounded healer, I guess I'm disqualified. I can't do it. Guess what? I can't do it. There was only one perfect man that worked, walked this earth, and that was Jesus. You ain't Jesus, I ain't Jesus. Here's the thing. In all of our lives, as Christians, as just believers, as people, we're going to have a mixture of these motives. We're going to have a mixture of a genuine care and love for people, but maybe there's still an element of me that likes to hear, you know, I love when you preach. Maybe, there, maybe, there's a, maybe there's that slight element, you know, you're giving all this money to a certain ministry and stuff like that. Maybe there's this certain element that likes to get kind of a pat on the back. And it's not that you totally want that. Because you do want to do this out of a fullness of your love for God, but there's just that little piece there. Or maybe it's bigger than a little piece. So we all have these mixed motives, and I want to affirm that that's okay. We're imperfect. See, there's a little thing called sin and brokenness, and guess what? We all in that. <laughs> we all in that. What, but we, what we need to do is be reflective. And here's another thing. I am not saying that we have to be second-guessing ourselves all the time whenever we do something. I just talked to a person on Friday, and they told me about a person like this, but I've experienced this myself. They do a good deed, and it's like, oh, my God, well, did I do that in the right spirit, and did I pray before I did it, and did I really just give that to God, did I do that out of my own insecurities? And with people like that, you almost want to say, hey, don't do any more good stuff. Look, you just chill at home, because if you do any more good stuff, you're going to drive you and me crazy. <laughs> Please. So I'm not talking about second-guessing ourselves in a neurotic fashion. What I am saying is that we have to be reflective and directly intentional about how we choose to live and how we choose to love. And I'm also saying this. We're not talking about a destination. We're talking about a direction. What we want to do is we want to set our faces like Flint unto Christ and look at how he loved, the motivation he loves, and strive for that. Are we going to fall short? Yes, we're going to fall short. But at least we have the direction that we're trying to go. We have the direction that we're trying to go, that we're trying to truly do things out of a fullness, not out of some deep-seated need that we didn't know we had. Here's another thought that I was, just, I was thinking about with this. If loving character, you know, this whole thing is about love, creation is about love, and our main job is to build our loving characters. If loving character is what this whole thing is about with us, what does it profit us to say that we're wounded healers and to do that wounded healing, but we're not truly doing it from a loving character? What does it profit us? Remember 1 Corinthians 13. What does it matter that I give all of my junk and I sell it all and I give it all to the United Way or I give it all to the church and what I really did it for was 
Because, I, because one time in church, I heard it was the right thing to do. And I felt bad about myself at that time. And so I wanted to do the right thing. And so I sold all my stuff and gave it. What does it profit me? What does it profit me that I do all this ministry? I do all this serving at, the, at, at, at somewhat the cost of myself. And ultimately, when I actually sit down and think about it, I did it so that I could essentially feel good about myself because nothing in my life ever made me feel good besides ministry. What does it profit me? Nothing really. These are the things that we have to think about. These, this is why it is so important. Our heart is deceitful above all things, and it's not to make us neurotic, but it's to start making us be more reflective and asking questions about why we do what we do. Now, there's, cer there's certain reasons why I think that it is extremely important for us to understand these things, to understand directionality, to understand striving to have and build up that character. First of all, as individuals, we are developing our character towards God. See, here's the thing. The poor and the destitute and all these problems that we see in the world, I believe that these problems in some form are going to be with us until Jesus comes back. But when Jesus comes, all that stuff is going to be wiped away. But the one thing that is going to continue to be eternal is our characters, how we live before God. Do you realize, do, do we realize that each and every one of us are gifts before God? Each and every one of us. And there's going to come a time at the end of this whole thing when Satan is finally just defeated and, and his head is crushed, when we are going to come before our Father, we're going to come before our God, and we can actually say, God, you gave me my life as a gift. I'm giving it back to you. Through all the pain, through all the hurt, I developed my character, and this, this eternal thing that you gave me, I'm giving it back to you, and I'm going to lay it at your feet. We have to think eternal. Yes, God wants us to do wonderful works here for the kingdom, and that's great. But what is eternal? Our characters are eternal. Through any circumstance, through any situation, we can truly develop our characters such that we are having that Christ-like motivation, and we can give that character back to God as a gift. The second thing is, as a body, as Woodland Hills Church, as Woodland Hills Church, as we strive for that directionality, not only as individuals, but as groups together, we're actually building the kingdom. Greg always says that this is, where, this is where you see the kingdom. Wherever you see people living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, that's where you see the kingdom. But here's the thing. The kingdom is not necessarily just a matter of width, like getting more people into the kingdom. It's also a matter of depth. The more we as a body love one another and console one another and give each other space to love one another. We are deepening our characters in God, not only as individuals, but as a body. In our covenant groups, in our ministry groups, when we truly focus on being directional with one another and helping each other be directional, we are building the kingdom. See, this is, Gits is not a fundraiser. <laughs> Gits is not just about doing something. Part of Gits is about becoming, becoming the spiritually empowered body. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about in our groups, growing each other and loving each other to empower each other to be, get further and further and further into that character development that we need to have. I hope that we can see that. Becoming is so important. That is how we truly become the body of Christ. Not just in action, but in character. 
The third thing is that we're demonstrating, when we, do all, when we do those two things, we are demonstrating the kingdom to other people. Um, I've been reading a lot of leadership books lately, and I can't even tell which one this came from, so just know it's not me, okay? But um, I read in this leadership book, if you have to tell people that are under you that you're a leader, if you have to always assert, well, I'm the leader, and I'm the captain of this ship, and I'm stuff like that, chances are you're not really leading. The bottom line is people can see your character. People can see the way that you walk, the way that you carry yourself, the way that you humble yourself, the way that you really value people, and they will say that's a leader. You ain't got to say you're a leader. It's the same way with love. You don't have to tell people that you're a loving person. You don't have to tell people, I got Christ's love in me. You don't even have to say a word because that character's been developed. They can almost just smell it. Just like, what in the world? like some sweet, fragrant smell. I just, I, 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 and, and that's what we need. That's what we need here. That's what they need there. We don't need any more plastic things. We don't need, you know, fishes on our cars and bumper stickers and having the newest Michael, J. Michael W. Smith album. We don't need that to say that we have Christ's love. It's in deepening our walk with God. That's how we demonstrate the kingdom to others, wordlessly. I forget who said that, but it's like, you know, you, 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 preach, um, you preach your life and you use words when necessary. You preach using your life and use words when necessary. That's what can happen when we decide to develop our characters. Now, those are the context. Now, I'm going to talk about some practical steps that we can take to moving towards that direction, to helping each other edify this body by actually going towards that character. The first thing to do, and I think is extremely crucial, is we have to ask the Spirit to continue to move us in this direction. How many people know that we really can't do anything without God? We can do absolutely nothing without God. This is Christianity 101. Without God, we, if we are not plugged into the vine, we can do absolutely nothing. And what we have to do is we have to continuously ask the Spirit to move us in this direction, saying, Lord, you know, hey, I, you know, I, I know there's things in my life. Please just help me, Lord. Help me through this process. And you know what happens sometimes? The Holy Spirit will reveal things to you that you thought were actually cool. I mean, you, you look at something like, well, God, I thought that was all right. You know, TV told me it was all right. The ministry told me it was all right. The humanitarian um, aid people I work with tell me that's all right. No, get rid of it. Because the Spirit knows the deep things of the heart. The Spirit knows those things. And as we open ourselves up to the Spirit, not only do we have those opportunities to be used in our hurtful situations, but we have an opportunity for God to really shine a light and say, hey, maybe there's some things here that you can change so that you can really be more others motivated. I really believe this is something that plagues a lot of us because in our hustle bustle, um, you know, environment, sometimes we can get so busy doing things and so busy calling ourselves things that we don't be reflective on why we're doing what we're doing. We have to ask the Spirit to continue to move us in this direction. Without the Holy Spirit, this whole cause is lost because the Spirit is the one that empowers. We have the very Spirit of God working in our midst as a body. We have the very Spirit of God working us in individuals. We cannot fail. It cannot fail to occur if we invite the Spirit into our lives. So that's the first and foremost thing. Ask the Spirit to continue to move us in this direction. The second thing is, and this might be hard, asking ourselves critical questions. Really taking a step back and saying, you know, 
Well, I know that I do want to volunteer with this program, but why do I really want to volunteer? I know that I've, I've spent a large amount of my life doing this type of service, but why do I actually do it? And you will be surprised, you, with the whole help of the Holy Spirit, you'll be surprised what kind of answers sometimes you come to. Sometimes they're very frightening. Sometimes they're very thought-provoking. But it doesn't happen if we don't ask ourselves the questions. Why? What, what is really motivating? Is it truly the fullness that I just feel from the love of God permeating all over me and, and coming out? Or is it the fact that I just really just need somebody to need me right now? Or I just really need to feel good about myself right now? What is my true motivation? And if you discover, if you discover that you have those mixed motivations, remember that's okay. But you can't make changes unless you understand where you are at that time. It's not a matter of judgment. It's not a matter of condemnation. It's just a matter of finding out where you are at that time so that you know what you can ask the Holy Spirit for to move you into that direction. Ask the critical questions. The third thing is think about the others. We're talking about having a character that is truly others-oriented. Think about the others. This actually promotes the critical thought. You may end up discovering that you actually prefer being more servant-hearted to some people than other people. You know, well, you know, oh my God, I want to just give my, give my heart to those homeless people. I love those homeless people, but them drug dealers on the corner, uh, I just, I don't feel called to that, you know. You know, well, I just, I, I just, man, I just really have a heart for people that are suffering from addiction and stuff like that, but those child pornographers, uh, Somebody else got to deal with that. That we prefer to serve some others, rather, some people rather than other people. Or we have more of a heart for some people rather than other people. I'm not saying that God doesn't give calls, but once we start thinking about the others, maybe that gives us some clues to our dysfunction. If we have them. Do I always want to serve people that happen to be in powerful positions? Do I always want to serve people that I happen to know can help me out later on in the future? Some of these things are subconscious. So we have to think about the others that we're serving, not only to really get a good clue as to who we can serve, but to actually think about the motivation of why we're trying to serve in the first place. And the final thing is we have to consider this a process. God does miraculous things, and sometimes he'll do it just like pow, boom, and it's right there. But there's a lot of times where God uses processes. I believe right now that God has our senior pastor in a process, and God is, God is going to move him in that process. But God works through all of us through processes. That's why it doesn't make any sense for us to feel condemned or feel bad because we're not where we ought to be. Because guess what? None of us are where we ought to be. None of us are where we ought to be. Where we ought to be is the character of Jesus. It's going to be a while before we get there. But it's a process. As we let God work with us through the process, then we'll see healing take place. Then we'll see change take place. You'll actually be able to see, you know, well, dog, you know, I mean, it's been a while at this, but for some reason I can just, I, I seem to love easier than I used to. You know, all, all these ministries and all these services, it used to be a drudgery to me, but now I actually feel more of a joy. I can't really put my finger on it, but maybe God is really using the process. God is using this questioning and this praying. God is using that to hone my character. This is what I want to say, and I want to leave it with this. Just as we want to be committed to being, 
have, having an identity of being a wounded healer. Just as we want to have that identity, we have to be just as committed, just as diligent, and just as passionate about developing the character, about having the process of that character development go on. That's the way that we're truly going to love each other as Christ loved us in that freedom and determination. That's how we're going to do it. There's no self-help. There's no instant steps. It's a process. Some, it might be somewhat of a painful process, but it's a process that we need to go through nonetheless so that we as individuals and as a body can actually truly make an impact for the kingdom. I mean, I just feel like God's telling us, if we want to do it right, let's do it the right way. Let's not just place a label on ourselves and say, hey, we got it. Let's go through the character. I think that we've seen in our respective lives enough people that have tried, whether it's with diets, whether it's with being good to their spouse, whether it's you know, being a good friend, they'll try to do behaviorism, try to basically do acts just to do this and not even focus on the character, and it always backfires. It always backfires. You work on the actions, and we're going to talk about that next week, but you have to work on the character. You have to work on the character. God wants us to truly love each other and everyone else as Christ loved us. And this is the way that we can do it. You please stand. We're going to pray. I really want God to seal this in our hearts. I really want God to seal this in our hearts because, and I'm, I'm very, very passionate about this. I really believe that there are truly amazing gifts, truly amazing things that we can do here. But I know that Greg wants this and I know that everybody here wants this. We don't want to just go through the motions. We want to have the character that makes this thing last. And this is how we can do that. So let this word soak in our hearts going to pray. Father, I just thank you for this time. I just thank you for this word. I just thank you for sharing with us how we can embody that character, how we can move in that direction towards truly being others motivated out of a love for you and a love for ourselves. Father, we just thank you for that, Father. And I pray right now that you would just seal that in our hearts, Lord God. Father, there might be some hurts. There might be some hurts dealing with codependency or dealing with insecurities or maybe some things that we didn't think about before, Father. I pray that you would just move all of us through that process, Father. And, and as, as you usually do, Father, do that gently. Plant that in our hearts to continuously seek your spirit and seek after your character, Lord God. That we can truly do and be what you've called us to be. The, true, that, the way that we can truly do the love commandment to love each other as you loved us. We want to do that, Lord. We want to serve you. And we want to serve you out of a fullness of heart, not out of an emptiness of self. Now, Father, I pray that you would just give us traveling mercies as we go our separate ways. Father, that we would be away from this place, but never away from you in spirit and never away from each other in spirit. Father, we just pray that you would just seal this in our hearts and that you would help us live this out as we leave this place. I pray blessings upon each and every person here. In Jesus' name, amen.